0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Cause for Concern. I'm Steve Hegarty. That is Garen Allen. This is the pilot episode of a new podcast. G, how you doing, my friend?
1: Steve, I am good to go, man. Um, Steve, are you listening? Guys out there, are you listening? Because there's a lot we have to say, and only so much time to say it.
0: That's right. So what is this show? What's it all about? And why should you spend your time listening to two well-manicured media pretty boy types talking about the news? I'll stop you right there. This is not the news, but I am pretty. This is a new show cause for concern. There's a lot of things going on in the world and we need to talk about it. It's not a new show. It's about you guys. You're going to be involved in this show. Okay. So where did it come from? Two friends who've known each other for the better part of 20 years, diametrically opposed on a lot of things, similar on a lot of others. We're going to find out which is which. We'll have a few heated arguments, I'm sure, at some point, but we can all agree there's some problems going on um, with the country, okay? Um, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. We're going to talk about politics and poverty and education and mental health. Um, G would like to talk about why we need another Fast and Furious movie. I don't think we do. We just need The Rock driving around in a car for two hours saying funny shit. Same thing. Um, we all know. We all have concerns. We all have beliefs. We all know that Star Wars is really the only franchise that should be out there, provided Dave Filoni and John Favreau are the ones that are um, leading it. But look, all honesty and all kidding aside, we have concerns, things we're going to talk about. We're going to bring things to the forefront that are important to us. And we want to hear from you guys, the viewer, we want you to be part of the show. We do our due diligence. We want you guys to do the same. concern at gmail.com. I'm going to go back the other way. concern at gmail.com because invariably I always point in the wrong direction. Send us your emails, send us your facts. Send us your causes because we're going to support causes as well. We're going to do some good for some people. Our big goal, and we all know in this world right now, there is a lack of discourse. We got to talk about some things, folks. Doesn't matter if you're on the right, you're on the left. If you're on the right, doesn't mean you're a Nazi. If you're on the left, you're not some hippie tree hugger who hates jobs and wants every car to be electric. We'll talk about that in another episode, too. The point is, we're going to talk. Gee, where'd the show come from? Tell the folks.
1: You know, thanks for asking, Steve. Um, pretty, pretty amazing. It's been a long and drawn out process, but you know, it goes back to many of our, me and you, our late night conversations. Yes, and sometimes arguments. I know I won <laughs> most of the arguments, but you know, who's counting? But those arguments and those conversations are, are well needed right now. Uh, you know, maybe even farther back for me personally. You know, my time spent over in Europe talking to a lot of people over there um, along my travels, and, and, and the excitement and. The, you know, the general interest in people and what they thought and what they believed. And I think that's a big part of the show. And I'm hoping it's a big part of the show for people out there, too, because we need more of that. We definitely need more of that. But this show really is rooted in, in, a, in a couple events, maybe two events. One was the 2016 election. 2016, I watched the absolute horror. And, and as I realized late into the night, as the elections the were being counted, that Donald Trump may win. And I think I knew deep down in my heart, he was going to win. And it was absolute horror. But the next morning I rolled over, looked at my girlfriend, Laura, and Donald Trump had won. And I grabbed my cell phone and I played It's the End of the World by R.E.M. And how right I was. You know, it was just this moment of truth and and wow. But there was another event. And this is the one where me and you and and our our friend, Sean Doherty, you know, Came, came in and said, you know, this has got to happen. It was 2020, and um, this idea that Donald Trump may win again, another four years of deterioration of this country, of denigration of our, of, our, of our society, of our greatest institutions. And, you know, that was an awkward moment. And I think when I realized that, I think I texted you, I texted Sean, and I said, listen, man, if Donald Trump wins another four years, this country, it's screwed. it's done. It, you know, democracy will not exist. and and you know, he didn't win the election. He did not win the election. But here it is, man. The country is still in turmoil. It's going to shit. Donald Trump's not here, but the Republican Party, the Republican Party is. And we're still doing this show because it's needed because we have to. I I don't know, man. I, I can't I, I can't tell you any more than that. But I think that's the gist of where we're at, me and you as friends. And I hope some of you guys out there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we were all concerned with the way the country is going. Um, you know, our, citizen, our citizenry is pushed to the brink. Our government checks and balances aren't being utilized. Our economy is in trouble. The de- Democratic Republic, our democracy, is in some deep shit. And we want to have some discussions about it. We're not going to yell and scream all the time, sometimes. And yeah. I would argue well, right there- now that. I don't think you want all or most of those arguments, but I digress. We'll come back to that. <laughs> um, but we have to be able to have empathy with other people. And for you listeners and people watching, we're not bashing the right. We're not bashing the left. We're bashing everybody. We have to look at things from all sides. Now, do certain people have more culpability than others under certain circumstances? Absolutely. We just want to put a less myopic view on these things and have some discussion. You have to be able to look at the other side of an argument and kind of empathize with what that person is going through. And like we've said we don't care if you're black, white, gay, straight, Jewish, Gentile, Jedi, uh Star Wars fan, absolutely, Star Trek fan, uh, no, I kid. We all wanna be inclusive. Everyone should have a voice and we wanted people to have that voice. It's gone too far right or too far left. We have to have some things in moderation, all things in moderation, right? Two drinks a day, okay. Three drinks a day, not so much cheeseburgers every single night of the week, not good for you, right? Sugar all day long, you get the diabetes. Moderation and discussion. That's what cause for concern is about. Helping people do some good for the world. Try to make a difference. You'll have some laughs, you'll learn something. G and I have been doing these discussions, like he said, and like I've said, for over 20 years. We talked to our friend, Doherty. We talked to other friends. Sometimes we're like, holy shit, I can't believe you just said that. Or like, oh my God, you must be totally insane. Or that is the smartest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) this is what we're going to do. Hey,
1: I got to give a shout out, Steve. I got to give a shout out to my boys and girls, women, ladies, friends over at Coffee Rush in Gilbert, Arizona. And the reason I'm bringing that up, guys, is specifically for this. This is not a marketing ploy. These are friends, people I've known for almost a decade, stopping into the coffee shop and talking to these guys. And they've been usually supportive of us, talking about this show, giving me ideas, giving us ideas and and doing exactly what we're talking about, Steve, you know, and again, it's not a plug for, for Coffee Rush, but I thought it's important because you guys out there, you could do the same thing. Talk to people. You find out the strangest things, the coolest things about people. You learn about people. And, and I just thought I'd mention that, man, because that sort of falls in line right with what we're doing.
0: It it absolutely does. And we're going to be doing a live show at some point from that place. Um, Absolutely, guys, go into the Coffee Bean, um, support them, support your local businesses. And when you go into a coffee shop, talk to Coffee Rush. I apologize. Um, Coffee Rush. um, Talk to someone you might not talk to normally. Strike up a conversation. You never know what you're going to learn. Um, All right. Let's talk about the first episode. We weren't given much choice. Um, We looked at a lot of things, and this show has grown organically over the last six months as we're trying to gear up and do this. We've shot a bunch of practice ones and pilot ones and segments and stuff. We got to talk about the current state of our republic, and we're going to compare it to the Roman Empire, because you look at those two, it's probably the most closely related ones that we could look at. Um, I mentioned the citizenry is pushed to the brink. Our economy is in trouble. Inflation is up. Discourse is gone. Congress, Senate, nothing getting done. Um, and we're the ones that get the short end of the stick. And everyone wants to yap, yap, yap and use rhetoric and bullshit. And the media seems to separate everybody. Instead of informing people, they use a narrative. And we have zero narrative to push here. All we want to do is talk about stuff. You might agree, you might disagree. We want to hear from you. Okay. Your cause from concern at gmail.com. When we come back from the break, nice. Gee, I like that, good back and forth. When we come back from the break, um, we're gonna get into it. Um, Stick around, we'll be right back. All right, everybody, we are back from the break. Um, Like we were saying before we went into break, um, we didn't really have much of a choice. At least we didn't feel we did um, for the pilot episode. We gotta talk about the state of the Republic. We're gonna compare it to ancient Rome. Um, It's been done a lot. Um, in different venues for different reasons. But looking at those timelines, I think it's very important. We are equivalent to the Roman Empire as far as accomplishments and our size and things like that. We're gonna talk about some of those things. Um, It's summer, right? Summer's almost over. Anyway, those summer blockbusters, I want you to picture yourself in the movie theater, goes dark, screen starts to come up and you hear that voice. Imagine a world where political norms have broken down. Senators and congressmen use obstructionary means to get nothing done. And here comes our hero, the autocrat, dun, dun, dun. And everybody cheers, yay, right? It's funny and it's a joke, but it's not really funny and we all know it's not a joke. Um, This is what's going on and scarily enough a lot of people are getting on board with this. Um, We cannot be an autocracy, can't have it. Um, We're gonna talk about some things that lead us down this road or have already led us down this road in comparison. Um, Before, when, as we're talking about this, we say the Roman Empire, we're really, as G had pointed out to me in some of our discussions, we're actually talking about the Democratic Republic of Rome, which is about a, just under 500, 475 year span during the Roman Empire, which was almost 2,000 years in existence. We're comparing that to us now. We're roughly halfway there. Um, Timeline-wise, so it's important for us to look at this. But during the time where it was highly functioning and things were going on, um, you know, the Senate worked well, it would amend itself and make changes to societal things that would come up or issues that would come up, and it was very effective. Um, It got to the point, though, where things started to shift. Um, started to be internal strife. I mean, at the time there wasn't capital punishment. It wasn't part of their norms. There wasn't violence, political violence or things like that. But as it started to shift, all that started to change. Corruption became worse, overtaxing of the people, um, all kinds of stuff. And one of the big ones, it was like the first political murder um, in ancient Rome. And we've seen political murders in the newspapers and in on the news and things like that. And they're committing political suicide and all that kind of stuff. This was actually a literal murder. So we figured we spice it up in the beginning. Um, Tiberius Gracchus um, was a, um, a senator uh, and he was going for a second tour as tribune to the plebes, which were the common people. And he wanted to redistribute wealth or land, excuse me, redistribute land to the poor. Well, the opponents didn't care for that much and they bludgeoned him to death with a chair in the Senate um i'm not saying we should bring that kind of stuff back but we should at least discuss it um and then 300 300 of his supporters were slain um as well okay and then it kind of starts to go down that road um g take us through what's next my friend
1: yeah, um, that's a crazy story, man. Um the right? death with a chair. That's that's pretty extreme. When we talk about political violence, and and, and you know, maybe that's a that's, that's a great example because I don't think anything else could speak to that. But listen, I, this picture is is obviously the Roman Colosseum. Um, and it's incredible, incredible. I stood there. I took these, you know, this picture and many others. And you know, but as I was standing there, I was realizing a couple of things. One, that um, it was it stands as a reminder of the most ambitious uh, architectural economic uh, accomplishment in history. And really, I mean, it's incredible. But I also sort of sat there and thought about the great, or the maybe deviant politicians, and all the, the, the Roman um, citizens, both the poor, the, the well-off citizens, sitting in this Colosseum, and gathering in this, in, in this basic house, um, this museum, um, as everything was going on in Rome. So just to clarify something about society, um, you know, the problems and concerns, concerns that appear in society rely on society to fix. And that, that is not just the politicians. That's the people that elect the politicians to power. These, po- these powerful offices of influence. are um, democratic republic, you know, and their democratic republic to a certain extent was built on a system of checks and balances. A protection of ideas um, and and the right to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. And, And further, those ideas are contingent upon the ability of both society and the politicians to have compassion, understanding, and negotiate the future together, to negotiate it. But let's not forget the engine that drives negotiation is concession, it's conceding some points that maybe you don't agree with. And sadly, very dangerous right now and, and sad, is we're in, a, we're in a de facto state spiraling downwards into descent. Um, and I thought really this was fitting, the great um, politician, historian, poet, journalist, uh, you name it, this guy has done it. His name is Orson F. Whitney. Yep. He wrote these words. What is history set of eminence without honor? Wealth without wisdom power and passion without principle? The answer is reiterated in the overthrow of the mightiest empires of ancient times, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, and maybe the United States at this point. The four successive universal powers, maybe five of the past and the present. What and where are they?
0: Steve, where, where are they and where are we going? Right. Absolutely. And, you know, and especially I love the the um, the point you made about concession. We're not there's no concession these days. No one's willing to cross the aisle to concede any points to get anything done. Um, to your question about those great empires, right, Babylon and Persia have been broken up, obviously, in one way or another for a couple thousand years. But they're still in a de facto war with in and amongst themselves. Um, all across the Middle East. Greece, we saw burn basically, um, their financial crisis, austerity measures, it was awful, Um, they're still in trouble. Um, And Rome, obviously the empire eventually collapsed under its own weight for a multitude of reasons. Um, And we know that these great powers can't outrun time. And we have to look at where we are um, on that timeline. Um, You know, it's, would I use the word frightening? Is that an accurate word to as far as where we are to in comparison, G? Yes,
1: yeah, Steve, 100%. I think frightening, um, horror is you know, the word that comes to mind, man. Um, it's, it's, it's just horror and horrible. First, let's let let's restate what, what you said, man, and I think it's important. What we said and we talked about it. We, we still have to clarify this because I think it's easy to get lost in between this 2,000-year empire. Yep. We are talking about Uh, Rome collapsing is a global game changer, you know, and the democratic republic lasted, as you mentioned, 478 years. We're halfway there right now. It should also be noted that that even even the Roman democratic republic was in a quasi state of war throughout its history and political upheaval for long periods of time, just to keep it in match with the United States. Um, and I think that, that that's important to look at too, because you know, that's another one of those, those interesting points to make in the similarities between these, these two great, great powers. Listen, Julius Caesar, the illustrious moment where he crossed the Rubicon and he was appointed dictator for life. His assassination paved the way for a long lineage of emperors. That's what we're talking about. That line of demarcation when he was assassinated you know, and 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 you know, Augustus Caesar moved forward, his grand-nephew moved forward as the as the starting point for emperors. But you know, before that, there's three real reasons, I think. And 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 really I, I want to drill these home. And I think this is what this program was about. Me and you uh, you know, walked through a lot of different scenarios. This has been six months of us changing this show, really yeah. we've been talking about a lot of different things that we could have talked and all of them were great, man. I can't Absolutely. remember the last time I laughed so hard when we were talking about, you know. Jesus, you know, this guy named Caligula, he had a talking horse and a talking horse named Akitidis. Actually, he wanted to put him on, on, on the council. He wanted to make him council. You know, the similarities, Donald Trump had this, this pet turtle, and he named the, the turtle McConnell, Mitch McConnell. And, and he could talk as well. I mean, it's incredible. He could talk and, you know, slow and easy wins the race. But you know, hey, I, I,
0: I, I, so no, hey and some would say Pelosi is a talking ass. It goes both
1: ways. Well, you know, many have made that argument. And I won't disagree or agree with you. I've got to keep somewhere in the middle, right? So three, three reasons to focus on why the Republican yep. Number one is corruption and dysfunction in the Senate. It's well publicized. You mentioned it. It's 100% accurate. This is going to be a lot of time. I think we're going to spend maybe talking about some facts, some, some numbers, some data. Yep. Listen, the crossing of the Rubicon did not help. The civil war that ensued, he marched right with an army over the Rubicon and caused a civil war. Um, and, and basically confronted the, 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 the Senate um, and his old friend Pompey. Listen, man, that, that was a terrible moment. It, it was crazy that that happened. And, and, and something similar happened here, we'll get into that. Listen, the last part, and, and this is where we're at, and this is why I think it's, it's a big marker on society. And like you said, this watershed moment has taught us a lot about where we're at. There was a time where when the civil war ensued, there was a willingness and an apathy by the Roman citizens And they found autocracy to be palatable due to the senatorial corruption and the dysfunction and even the non-function. And that's where I think it speaks volumes where we're at on the timeline, Steve. And why don't you you reiterate those points, man, maybe just to make them clear for people. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I 100% agree. I mean, corruption, for one, the Senate has been at a standstill. Nothing gets done. Um, We're going to talk about some corruption. And there's all different kinds. There's endemic, systemic, and we're kind of in systemic, almost legal corruption. Some of the things we're going to mention, we got some numbers. Um, Yeah, the Rubicon moment. Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon, went into Rome. Um, Our Rubicon moment was January 6th. And whether you're on the right or the left and you want to call it a peaceful protest, which you absolutely can't because that's crap, Um, an insurrection, a riot, a protest, whatever. It was a shocking time for this country. Um, Absolutely. And then the apathy of the citizenry. People are so checked out. Nobody gives a crap anymore about some of this stuff. I mean, the government, the DOD came out and said UFOs are real. And nobody blinked an eye, nobody gave a crap, but the Kardashians, the most vapid, useless people on the planet, were going off the air after 20 years and got like 350 million views or something stupid. That's where we're at. People are inundated with all this yap, 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 and the rhetoric from both sides and the media and everything, and they're checked out. So they're looking for that autocrat moment. Everybody wants that big, strong leader who can go in there and crack the whip and That's one of the reasons why President Trump was elected the first time. Um, People didn't want the -the run-of-the-mill, regular Hillary Clinton type, and that was a terrible candidate for them to put up. Anyway, let's tell the truth, Democratic Party, right? You guys are terrible at message. Republicans are good at message, and it comes back to haunt you guys over and over. We'll talk about some of that a little further down. but yeah, and this is where we're at. We focused on three, those three big things. And as G had said, we talked about a lot of stuff like disease, right? Plagues running through the Roman empire, huh? Sound familiar? We got something going on right now. Um, overextended military, taxing, breakdown of the middle class, all these things. But we focused on these three big ones because those were kind of the turning points that let the other stuff happen. Um, so when we come back, we're gonna crank it up and we're gonna start breaking this stuff down. We'll see you in a minute. All right, everybody, welcome back from the break. I think we've laid out a pretty compelling picture of what we're gonna talk about and what is leading to the fall of not only Rome, but potentially our Republic, like the Roman Democratic Republic. Um, there was a lot of great achievements, right, G, that Rome went through
1: sure it was a lot of great achievements that rome went through i mean rome essentially you know put us on the map um as far as roads aqueducts running water um and, and all the things that, that they really produced and i know we went through a ton of there's just too many to even mention um you know and, and a lot of those happened during the actual imperial time i hate to say this because it was the empire that produced so many great things um you know those great things that they produce, though, we can, we can talk about them, we can talk about empires, but that's for a later topic, that's for a later discussion. We can surely say, though, freedom itself is analogous to democracy as oppression is to imperialism. However, however, it does not change, does not change the accomplishments or the power of that great nation.
0: No, absolutely. I'm, you know, like you said, aqueducts, roads, tax system, whether that's good or bad, we don't know, Um, newspapers, all kinds of stuff that Rome had done during the empire. And I mean, same thing can be said for China, with all the accomplishments that they made, but that was through a different uh, system, let's say, again, another episode. Uh, But let's get back to the glaring reason um, for the overthrow of the Democratic Republic, and that was senatorial or Senate dysfunction. just like our modern day Senate, right? We all know we're in a gridlock. They're trying to pass these giant omnibus bills or doing all this stuff. It's just not functioning the way our forefathers had set it up based on the Democratic Republic of Rome. I wanna read a quote though, much like our modern day Senate, Julius Caesar had pointed out that the richest members of the community are one and the same. The Senate and the richest members of the community are one and the same. So separating the rich from their tax breaks and their money, not only a war on the elite class, but also a war on the Senate itself, Gee.
1: Yeah, no, no, no doubt. And this leads into our conversation, man. What a great quote. I mean, you know, there's a lot of quotes by Julius Caesar. We're going to get into some of them after this, you know, and, yeah. and where some of our politicians have, have, have received their messaging is not where you think it is. It's not from great United States leaders. There is a long history tradition that has been passed down of this rhetoric, man. Uh, Julius Caesar was, was a brilliant orator. He really was, man. Yeah. Uh, but back to the filibuster. You, you mentioned the filibuster. Listen, the filibuster, um, as, as we talk about, as we hear it on, on, the, on the news, and for those of you who don't know, it is a measure in which um, the minority has the ability to, and they used to have to, to speak on the floor until 60 61 votes were, were 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 received in order to put cloture and stop the discussion and go to a vote and then the majority would have their you know their their vote um, right now for instance 51 votes um, you know Kamala Harris would would break the tie and that bill would be passed but Mitch McConnell uses this in a way and, and so did the Democrats through time to gridlock things but but listen where this came from is important because I All of us listening, now we've got what the filibuster is out of the way. Let's talk about where it came from. And and contrary to popular belief, CNN, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Chris Chris Cuomo. I'm sorry, buddy. Uh, The the filibuster um, was not invented by Jim Crow 2.0. I don't even know that guy. I don't know if anybody knows that guy. You know, Is it used as a racist tool? 100% it is, but it's also used to stop voting. A young man named Cato the Younger. And he was a Roman senator who uh, used to talk from sun to sundown in order to stop anything from getting done in the Senate. And specifically taxes was one of the first times he uses used this. and he was a he was a nobleman. He was a good person who was trying to fight for the the uh, the normal guy, the, the 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 people who weren't well off in in Rome. And he would use this this tactic to stop it. but you know, like we've talked about, the filibuster is a tool, and you could take this tool, you know, like a shovel. I can use it to dig a flower bed, or I can use it to dig your grave. It can be used <laughs> for both. Um, you know, I can, I can use it to rhetorically beat you over the head ad baculum, as the Romans would say, you know, yep. to beat my point across, or I can use it to beat your skull in, you know, as, as some of the criminals w- would do. But that's, you know, I, I digress. I know it's funny, but it's the same stuff. That shovel is the rhetoric, um, obviously, you know, both literally and figuratively. In Roman times, um, my point would be that it was a, used it as an, ex, an extension and a vehicle to get to goals. Yes, okay, so, meaning the opposition would stop things. In the Obama administration and, and in the Trump administration, it's 12 years there were 600 instances of the filibuster being used. That's more than the total time it's been used in the existence of, the, of our democratic republic. And maybe that right. was more than the actual Roman Republic, uh, it, it was used. So Steve, I mean, I, this, is, this is an issue. This is a large issue that we're talking about. Um, and, and I know that we're going to get to all this so you know your thoughts
0: well yeah and it is and I you know we've had discussions and you think they should get rid of the filibuster I think and most people too might not realize that it's not even in the constitution it wasn't written into the constitution it's not part of senatorial procedure it's kind of just an adopted thing that as we've said has been around since Cato the Younger a descendant of Julius Caesar by the way um, but I personally, I think it should be used. And for them, and one of the things that I have a problem with is that they don't even do it. They threaten it. Oh, I'm going to filibuster and everyone wimps out and they don't get anything done, right? The vote just never happens. I think if you're going to do it, you take the floor. You don't yield the floor unless you're answering a question because you are allowed to yield the floor to answer a question um, or to receive a question and then answer it, obviously. Um but you can't be up there reading the rules of cards or recipe books or, you know, Lord of the Rings. All right, well, okay, that would be okay. You can read Lord of the Rings. Um, but if you're going to get up there and you're going to whine or whatever, then you don't get to use it. If you're going to filibuster, get your ass on the floor, talk about the problem, offer solutions, talk about potential concession. We've mentioned that word a couple of times already and use it the right way because the way they're doing it now it just doesn't you know they like you say it's a shovel it's a cudgel they bash you over the head oh, i'm gonna filibuster and nothing gets done and that leads to nothing happening that leads to the senatorial dysfunction and now all these other things all those dominoes start to fall and it leads to problems
1: yeah and, and, and you know just again just to get a little further into this corruption and this is crazy when we think about the numbers 3.2 billion dollars in lobbying money. 3.2 billion dollars in lobbying money. That's the reported number that is flowing through Congress annually. Just and what's more, congressional budget? Congressional budget is two billion, and that's broken down. I think into eight eight hundred million. I think for the uh, for the Senate and for the House. I think it's one point one eight. Uh, yeah,
0: a, uh, $860 for the Senate, $860 million, $1.18 billion for the House.
1: No, that's a stark discrepancy, and that money isn't all used. You know, I, I think it's confusing because people would think, well, it's used to pass their 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 agenda. But it's also used to stop their agenda. And this is where, where I think it gets interesting, Steve, is, you know, people look at lobbying money in Congress, and they say, well, they're passing their bills. They're doing the exact opposite as well. Right. They're using the filibuster and supporting and, and, and Congress knows who these people are and their special interest groups, and they're using it the exact opposite way to say, "You know what? We're going to stop any change to gun rights, any change to abortion, any change to the financial institution. That's the crazy part about it and I know you've got some more, we've discussed a lot of this, and we I, it's did.
0: Crazy, and one other thing too, right, you'd mentioned $3.2 billion is the lobbying expenditure, right, special interest groups that they report, you got to assume that it's, it's got to be doubled, if not more, um, that goes unreported or used in different ways that, you know, don't get reported. So now we're talking three to one spending almost. Um, and one other thing, too, right? Labor groups representing the taxpayer. I'm reading this way, so get it right. Um, and consumers spend $1 to $34 spent by businesses. That's insane. Okay. They're outspending us unbelievably so. So, of course, the middleman, the, the common guy, the middle class, lower class are getting the shaft. And it's um, equal
1: opportunity, Steve. This is Republicans and Democrats,
0: correct? Oh, 100%. Yeah. It's on both sides. This is that legal. Um, corruption. It's unbelievable. Um, And, you know, their corruption has been around since Ukluck smashed Muckluck's head in and stole his dinosaur eggs, whatever. And when there's been organized groups of people and it continues on now, it's this stuff is legal and nobody bats an eye because they're so used to it. And it goes to our point about apathy and something we're going to talk a little bit later. Um, One other thing, right? A recent study found that on average for every dollar spent on influencing politics, the nation's most politically active corporations received $760 from the government. That What's that, like 76,000% return? You put money into the stock market, stock market. market yeah. exactly. right, you get 10%, you're like, yay, 76,000%. <laughs> wow. That's just insane, right? Now, the three biggest, let's see, our biggest spenders, you might be surprised to hear this one. National Association of Realtors, $84 million, U.S. Chamber of Commerce, 81.9 million, and then Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers. This one came in a little low at 25 mil um, as far as being reported. Um, Pretty significant amounts of money used just for lobbying, and we all know, you know, Nobody trusts Big Pharma for all the stuff they do. Real estate, the market is insane. It's up and down. Um, You know, these people are pumping a lot of money into this kind of thing. And like you said, G, they're using using their lobbying to get them to trigger a filibuster so things either don't get passed or things that are beneficial to them, the businesses, get passed, and we're the ones that get left out um, in the cold. Steve,
1: research, um, and maybe maybe this is something for you guys out in the audience to look at because, Steve, something occurred to me as you were saying. You know, you were surprised by some of these uh, these top tier groups. I would have expected the NRA to be high on this high on this list in finances being put out there. Now, here's the thing: it makes sense because the NRA has been under a lot of scrutiny. Uh, they are a, they are a decreasing uh, powerful organization. They're they're falling apart. Now, it's interesting because I would think. Big Pharma as well, low on the list, and Big Pharma under scrutiny, as I think you're going to get to a little bit more, in lawsuits and, and the way we view their assault on the health of America. I think it's interesting to look at maybe this is a shift in, 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 in lobbying money as some of these groups fall by the wayside, possibly. And it'll be interesting. You guys are... Sure, it could... That, Please email us.
0: Absolutely. Um, that could very well be the case. And yeah, the NRA has been in trouble for the last couple of years. They'd filed bankruptcy. They had their whole TV wing and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy what's going on. And we will definitely get some more numbers and put some of that stuff up. And you know, like there was um, Matt Gates. okay? Um, you're all familiar with him. We have a couple of clips that we're putting up on Instagram from our other shows that we'll have out there. You'll see one. But I watched the documentary, The Swamp a couple of years back. And it was interesting, um, but in the beginning of the movie, they give him a, a card and says some company or some group wants to pay him $50,000 to have lunch. It's insane. Like, and he even said, like, I'm not worth $50,000. Why would I you know, go to lunch with these people? Right. But that's what they do. They have a fundraiser, and they can either buy you a $25 steak dinner and, or give you a $25,000 honorarium or whatever they call it that goes to your... Campaign, the amount of money that politicians have to raise just to give to their party, be it Republican or the Democratic Party, they have to pay them like one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars a year. And that's for like one of the low end, like Matt Gates or something like that. That seems like corruptible offenses, right there, in and of itself. Um, but it's just it's it's unfathomable to me. As the more we look into this show and more do we the research, you're like, geez, like some of it, it's incredibly crazy.
1: It's mobster stuff because I can't really hand you one hundred thousand dollars.
0: What he might appear on your doorstep, right? I'm going to talk to the guy. He's going to drop you an envelope. It's true. You're absolutely right. It's it's unbelievable. Um, you know, you had mentioned too a couple of things we were talking about was uh, Citibank um, during the 08 crisis and some of this other stuff. I want to. One thing I came up with, right? It look at the 2014 omnibus bill. Okay. Um, The budget deal. And again, omnibus bill, a massively huge, convoluted, overinflated, overbloated bill. Bills need to be clean, one or two things on it, get them done. No chance for filibuster or very little things would actually work, right? Um, Congress used the deal to secretly put taxpayers back on the hook for the bank bailouts, right? Our representatives repealed the law that prevented us from bailing out the banks, but we ate that one and paid them back. New York Times report G on that same one. They reported that 70 of the 85 lines in the language that killed the derivatives bill came from a piece of model legislation drafted by Citibank lobbyists. Oh, shocking, the lobbyists wrote a bill or deleted lines in a bill that was beneficial to them. Steve,
1: I I gotta stop you there, man. I think we need to do this. Listen, you guys out there, this is a line from a movie. Please email us and tell us where it came from what if you went to law school and i went to prison and we we're both surrounded by criminals
0: right and guys you know what, send us bro, your I facts here's the email address your cause for concern at gmail.com send us your facts show us some of this stuff we'll talk about it on the air we'll visit this stuff again we're going to call out your name, we're gonna say this is an email from so and so, we're gonna read your facts, I'm gonna be like holy crap, this stuff is going on everywhere. And don't forget too folks, it's not just your federal government, it's your state, it's your local, it's your school board, all this stuff goes on, don't ignore it, don't be apathetic, listen up, follow up, send us emails, we're gonna be part of it. Um, Gee, you had mentioned, too, the one thing um, about the legal and criminal stuff. Other thing I found, right, Um, we mentioned the big spenders, and that was from OpenSecrets.org, which is a good website. You can find some good information on there. But 10 years ago now, but still, in 2011, things haven't gotten any better, Johnson & Johnson agreed to pay $70 million in civil and criminal fines to settle a Justice Department complaint brought under by the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, the FCPA. SEC had charged Johnson & Johnson and its subsidiaries with bribing government doctors in Greece who used Johnson & Johnson surgical implants, hospital administrators in Poland in return for contracts, and Romanian public doctors to prescribe Johnson & Johnson pharmaceutical products. Their subsidiaries also paid kickbacks to Iraq Uh, to obtain 19 contracts under the United Nations Oil for Food Program. Good God. This stuff, and it's rampant. This is just a couple of examples. This is the stuff that has been found out. Imagine the crap that never comes to light.
1: You're you're talking about globalization, too, and, man, I'm glad you mentioned this. And This is for another time, obviously, guys. It's one of my favorite topics, and I know Steve has heard this ad nauseum for me over the recent years that I've been talking about asymmetric hybrid warfare and people usually tune me out when I talk about that, but it's starting to reach the news now. And we've got a few friends that are are hopefully gonna be showing up on on air and we're gonna interview these people. They're top subject matter experts in asymmetric hybrid warfare, warfare. but the effects of globalization, and we're not in the bubble anymore, man. You talk about Johnson & Johnson and, and, and this company that all these things not only affect the United States and how we do business and the morality, but they affect how we're viewed globally and, and, and affect the shift, it's satanic plates, if you, if you will, that shift this world and how other countries' economy, their finances are, 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 are t- tied to us. And this is an incredible thing because I know a lot of you out there, you know, I used to live in Vermont and New Hampshire. And I wish I could I could live in that world again where where you know, hey, Bob, how you doing? How's your daughter? Does, does your son need, need a ride to school? You know, hey, I'll leave a key, the key for you underneath the mat. But that's not the world we live in. And it hasn't been that since World War II. We're a global economy. We're a global influence. And again, I, I say this because Rome, when Rome fell, had stark implications on the globe after their fall of democracy. I say that because why our democracy is a beacon of hope for the rest of the world and the rest of the dem- democratic countries out there that believe in freedom and, and fight against oppression. It's important to remember that we don't just affect the United States. So when people say America first and make America great again, and all that great stuff that, that people should believe in, but should clarify what that means, because we affect everything around us at this point. And it's dangerous, the game that we're playing. And- yeah, absolutely. History, We'll get to it after the break, Steve, because I know we're on a hard out. But, you know, maybe it should scare some people because we're headed for that Julius Caesar moment. And guess what? After the break, we're going to talk about a guy, an incredible general politician order that rode his army into Rome and started a civil war. And the other guy who tried to ride his army into the capital.
0: after After the break.
1: All right, everybody, thank you so much for tuning back in. It's been a great show already. We hope you got a lot of useful information out of this and we hope we started the wheel spinning up there. We hope you guys are thinking about what's happening in this country right now because it is deadly serious right now, it is. But this is where I tell all of you out there that there is a cliffhanger. Yes, first show, first episode of Cause for Concern and we're leaving you guys hanging, that's right. Because 2000 years worth of Roman history was impossible to put on the air in just 40 minutes. Yeah, so this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna split it up. The next segment of episode one, cause for concern, the fall of Rome, possible fall of the United States, will air in two weeks. And guess what? Some of you out there think you know how this is gonna end. And maybe you're right. Julius Caesar crosses the Rubicon, Civil war ensues. The United States, January 6th. Oh, wait, we don't know how that's going to end right now. And I guess the other big mystery is, where's Steve? I think he's starting to write the next episode, episode two. We'll tell you more about that next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Cause for concern. Are you guys out there listening?